Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Super excited you're joining us here for today's conversation. Uh, Really happy to have Dr. Peter Glidden here with us. Dr. Glidden has been a licensed naturopathic doctor since 1992. He's been an outspoken advocate of naturopathic medicine uh, ever since. He has uh, taught over 150 lectures worldwide. He is the author of Everybody is Sick and I Know Why. And he's also the author of Attempt a Cure with Holistic Medicine. Um, and he has a plethora of health information available at his website, um, which I believe is drglidden.com. Is that right? That's one of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, Dr. Glidden, I, I first remember, I, I mean, I first became aware of you maybe five or six years ago. I saw you in a documentary and I immediately thought, you know, I, I would love to meet this man. He really knows what he's talking about. And, um, and I want to interview him. So I did end up reaching out. We did connect. I interviewed you and then, that your interview ended up being edited into my documentary series, Conquering Cancer, The Missing Link. And it was one of the better interviews that I've done in a long time. So now that I've got the podcast where we can go, you know, really deep dive into um, any subject we want to, I'm excited that you said yes to come on the podcast. So first of all, thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, joining me. Well, it's, I mean, it's my pleasure. And, you know, right back at you because there are just a handful of people in the world right now who are standing up uh, and waving a flag saying, look, we need a serious reality check with the disease management medical model that exists in this country. And there are alternatives which are better science-based, clinically verified, licensed and regulated. And, you know, people need to know this information. So I'm right back at you. I'm extremely happy to be here. So one of the things that I recognize um, about you is that you have a, a deep understanding of the history of the corrupt medical model and system and the formation of the AMA and the intentional antagonistic, um, attacks against naturopathic medicine. And I'd love to open the, open the time right now for you to, to go into that history and share it deeply, because I think it's, I think most people today don't understand where the conventional medical model came from. They don't understand what happened. They don't understand why naturopathic medicine is demonized and not even taught to medical students. And in fact, I talked to a medical student the other day, who said, there is no science that supports, I'm in medical school to become a medical doctor, and my 
you know, my professors are telling us there's no science that natural medicine is effective or safe. You are quackery. You are killing people. And all I thought to myself was, wow, this is still going on today in conventional medical schools where these, these young med students are being completely brainwashed and told complete lies. I mean, we, I personally ha- have seen you know, have read hundreds, if not thousands of papers in natural medicine, but also uh, my friend Sayerji has put together a website called Green Med Info that is documented and linked to over 77,000 abstracts from the peer-reviewed journals that are all based in natural and holistic uh, uh, medicine, uh, scientific um, published papers that attribute to everything natural you could ever imagine. So not only is there tens of thousands of documented studies, um, but unfortunately med students are still being lied to today. And so you have a really deep understanding of the history of this, why it's happened, why we're at where we are now. And I'd, I'd love for you to share that because I think it's really important for people to know. Well, you know, like the fellow said, from the proper perspective, everything makes sense. And we haven't had... <laughs> an objective, proper perspective on medicine since 1912. I mean, that's longer than anybody's been alive. And this is one of the reasons why um, nonsense like this and lies like this are propagated um, not only in medical school, but also in the mainstream. Uh, And it all goes back to the pharmaceutical agenda, the pharmaceutical largesse, the pharmaceutical control over just about everything because they have more money than God especially now since COVID, they've got way more money than God. And they're using it to their benefit to promote more propaganda. And, you know, like the fellow said, it's good to be the king, right? Because when you are the king, you can get away literally with murder. And you're okay because the medical doctors exist inside of a self-policing, self-regulating industry. And now it all started in 1912 when, through the assistance of the Carnegie's and the Rockefeller's. And there were a couple of times in history that the Carnegie's and the Rockefeller's pooled their resources to, uh, to, um, to get somewhere where they wanted to, to accomplish something. A lot of times they were antagonistic in, in their business dealings, but this time they came together and through a combination of influence was propagated by two people, Henry Pritchard and, uh, um, what's his name you know the guy's name come on the nephew the the nephew of um uh he was he was a nephew of carnegie right or nephew of rockefeller one of them yeah his name was uh either i'll think of it in a minute yeah flexner abraham flexner there you go with the flexner report there you go yeah all right so so the carnegie's and the rockefellers funded Flexner to go around the country and do an inventory of all of the medical schools in the United States. And, you know, back in those days, uh, there was no internet. I don't even think there was a a telephone system that existed all the way across the country. It took Pritchard uh, three, four years to do this. He did it by train. He did it by stagecoach. He did it by horseback. He went all around the country and did an inventory of all of the medical schools in the country and brought his list back to the Rockefellers. And the list was infamously known as the Flexner Report. And what 
all it basically did was say that these medical schools teach allopathic medicine and rely on drugs, and these medical schools do not. And they leveraged this information, they propagandized this information, brought it to Congress, and said, oh, these people who are not doing allopathic medicine are quacks, and they're hurting people the same way that they're doing it today, which was a bald-faced lie. But they gave lots of money to uh, government officials and state associations, and the American Medical Association was funded heavily um, by the by the Rockefellers. Uh, and they levied their influence upon Congress, and Congress granted in 1912 the American Medical Association exclusive control over who could and who couldn't practice medicine in the United States. It was, in fact, a hostile takeover of the medical marketplace, and it was sold to an unassuming American public as public safety and cleaning up medicine and getting rid of substandard medicine, getting rid of dangerous medical quackery. That's how it was sold to the American public along the same lines as how the, the uh, how they sold us with the Patriot Act after 9-11. It was all smoke and mirrors and propaganda and nonsense, but nonetheless, it worked. And in 1912, uh, the MDs and the pharmaceutical industry took complete control over the development and the delivery of medicine in the United States. And before this, there were I think 50, 50 something homeopathic medical schools in the United States. Some of them were at like New York University and major universities in the country. And within three years of the Flexner report, they all closed because they couldn't compete, number one. And number two, they were demonized and looked down on. And it was a big propaganda movement against anything but MD medicine. And this was the beginning of the end for alternative medicine, and I hate that term, alternative medicine. Now, saying what I do is alternative medicine is like saying, well, the only real dog is a German shepherd and every other dog is an alternative dog. And that's nonsense. But that's the frame of reference that we have grown up with since 1912 because of the medical monopoly. And I mean, it was a perfect storm. I don't know who it was that decided to do this, but it was a stroke of propaganda genius when medical doctors practicing allopathic medicine co-opted the term medical doctor well your medical doctor doesn't practice medicine nobody practices medicine medicine is like dogs there's a lot of different types of dogs there's a lot of different types of medicine naturopathic medicine homeopathic medicine allopathic medicine chiropractic medicine osteopathic medicine traditional chinese medicine acupuncture ayurveda a lot of different types of medicine, but the medical doctors in co-opting the term medical doctor kind of forced the meme on an unassuming public that they were the gatekeepers of all things medical and everybody else was not a medical doctor, not a real doctor, an alternative medical practitioner, read substandard dangerous quackery. It was, a, it was a brilliant propaganda move on their part, and they were successful in doing it. And since 1912, <clears throat> they 
did a lot of different things over time. One of the things that they did was they instituted a language monopoly in the education of medical students. And they started using medical terms in Latin, right? So it wasn't joint pain, it was arthritis and so forth and so on. And one of the reasons that they did this was to elevate in the minds of an uneducated public or to promote the idea that medical doctors were much smarter than everybody else. I mean, in this, this was something that I even believed when I was in uh, college in the 1980s, right? Everybody in college believed that the people in pre-med were the smartest people in the bunch. And that was just assumed. And, and But they weren't the smartest people in the bunch. But nonetheless, this and a, a number of other myths have, uh, perpetrated itself into the culture. And and now, I mean, people look around and because of the medical monopoly, because of the hostile takeover of the medical market over a hundred years ago, the only medicine that's practiced in people's hospitals is MD medicine. The only medicine that their insurance pays for by and large is MD medicine. The only medicine that they do research at universities is MD medicine. The only medicine they make TV shows about is MD medicine. And therefore, it's easy for an uneducated person to think that, well, the MDs, they're everywhere all the time. And therefore, their therapeutics must be better than everybody else's. Because people are not aware that we don't have a free medical market. And this is one of the biggest disconnects that we have, that this monopoly, I mean, everybody if you're educated, you understand that a monopoly is not a good thing. I mean, years ago, we disbanded AT&T because it had a monopoly on telecommunications in this country, and it costs like a million dollars a minute to make a long-distance call. Well, we weren't okay with that. It was a good thing to break up that monopoly. We know that monopolies aren't good for everybody except who owns the monopoly. But when it comes to medicine, somehow... We've overlooked this, and this is because people are unaware that the reason that the medical doctors are in first place, the reason that they're everywhere all the time, it's not because their therapeutics are better. It's not because their therapeutics are safer. It's not because their therapeutics are more science-based than everybody else's. It's because they leveraged themselves into first place. They bought their way there. And they've maintained their position in first place through legislation and, you know, glad handing and the largesse of the pharmaceutical industry, which is writ large during COVID. Um, I mean, it's crazy. And a lot of people also don't understand this, that the in the United States of America, the only thing that can legally treat a disease is a drug. And that's nonsense. But that is the way that it is. It's good to be the king. That's the result of the monopoly which regretfully, to their demise, most people are completely unaware of. Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies, for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine, for not only cancer reversal, but cancer prevention, 
go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. You know what else is really shocking and fascinating about that history is, you know, you start to look at, okay, you know, the why behind they did this Flexner report and the why behind the medical, you know, monopoly, monopolization of the universities that were teaching medicine. As you said, there were many universities at the time that were teaching natural forms of medicine, herbalism. Herbalism goes back as far as 60,000 years that we know of so far. You know, of- the oldest system of medicine on the planet. There was a naturopathic doctor. His name was O.G. Carroll. And in the early 1900s, he had a medical clinic in Spokane, Washington. His was the busiest medical clinic west of the Mississippi. And he was a naturopathic doctor. And why did he have the busiest medical clinic? Because his therapeutics were effective. And word spreads, right? You can't hide the truth forever. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans that have gone on over the last hundred plus years to make people believe that the medical doctors have the secret decoder ring to all things medical. And everybody else is a back of the bus quack with substandard training. And, you know, we talked about this in the cancer thing. I mean, the, the socialization is so deep now that even when the medical doctors fail, which they do all of the time in cancer, even when their therapeutics hurt your relatives, the leading cause of death in the United States is MD-directed medicine. Even when their therapeutics bankrupt, the leading cause of bankruptcy is MD-directed medicine. Since they've been in charge of everything, chronic disease is escalating. Alzheimer's is through the roof. Autism is through the roof. Life expectancy is getting shorter. Chronic disease is accelerating. It's not getting better. And we give them a pass. Why do we give them a pass? Because we actually believe, not you and me, and people are waking up, but most people believe that if the MDs can't do it, nobody can. The medical doctor is, you know, they've got, again, the secret decoder ring to all things medical. And the medical doctors are great. And the medical doctors are great. And it's a lie. Um, and it's it's tragic because most, most medical doctors don't, you know, I don't understand how a medical doctor who's not a surgeon, I, I'm I'm a fan of surgery when it's necessary. Sure. I'm a fan of military field medicine. I'm a fan of trauma care and comp medicine for the complications of childbirth, et cetera. But I honestly don't know how a medical doctor can go to work for 40, 50 hours a week doing what they do because they're not curing anything. They're not helping people. They're just managing illness with drugs. And under their care, the patient gets weaker and more dependent on the drugs and sicker and weaker and sicker and weaker, and then they die. Well, that's, I honestly that's don't crazy, know how you can do that. That's a crazy, the crazy statistic you just mentioned a moment ago, which is, you know, the, the third leading cause of death in the United States, which comes after heart disease and cancer, it kills about a quarter million people a year in the United States, 250,000 people a year, is medical mistakes. So is your doctor <laughs> actually making a mistake right. is killing a quarter million people a year. Could you imagine if there was even a handful of people that were being killed by 
naturopathic mistakes, what would happen? Yeah, we'd, we'd be pilloried in the town square, right? Which goes to show you which one is more safe. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's more safe? Because people aren't dying at the hands of naturopathic doctors, but they're dying by the millions over decades. We're talking about millions of people killed by medical mistakes. These are your so-called top medical doctors that are making mistakes. Now, there's a lot of things that can happen for that mistake to happen. It could be, you know, the wrong prescription of a drug. It could be a, an error in a surgery. It could be they got the wrong chart from the nurse and they did the wrong procedure on the wrong person, which does happen. You know, it could be any number of things. But we're talking about 250,000 people dying every year in the U.S. from medical mistakes. So I mean, it's, it's a remarkable number, and, but it's a point well taken that they get a pass. They get a right. pass. Exactly. And so going, which is insane to think about and going back to, you know, more of, of what happened during those early universities. So I know when I did the research, what I discovered was the Carnegie's and the, and the Rockefeller's number one, they were heavily invested in the oil industry at that time. And number two, there was a new, it was, it was kind of a booming discovery that you could make these pharmaceutical drugs out of petroleum and p petroleum byproducts, right? And so anyone can go look this up, that, that many of the pharmaceutical drugs come from a petroleum source. And so they had this gold mine of not only, hey, we've got all this oil, but we got to do something with it. And we can make a lot more money over here in medicine as well. So let's just invest in, and that's what they did. They went to all these colleges and they said, if you follow what we call allopathic safe pharmaceutical medicine, then we will give you grants and donations and fund your colleges. And that's what they did. Right. But they said to, to do that, we need to put someone from our team on your board of directors to, you know, keep an eye on things, make sure, make sure you guys are things doing things properly and safely. Well, they ended up putting basically the same person on all the boards of all of these universities and started funding all of these colleges with hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars and all of these naturopathic colleges and herbal medicine colleges and holistic medicine colleges that maybe were getting great success for people, they couldn't keep up. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the funding. And, you know, they basically came and said, look, you do what we tell you to do or we will not fund you. And in that case, the ones with the more money has the more power, the more influence, the more marketing can get more students. And as you said, it became a language takeover it became a, a takeover in the subconscious mind of the population to say, look, if you're one of these doctors, ooh, you're the, you're, you know, you're the real deal. If you're one of these doctors playing with this, you know, old antiquated false medicine, you're, you're a quack. And that's, and that's what they did. They just took over the entire industry. Um, and and now the, the next thing, and then the next thing that they did, was they, after they did the language monopoly, they raised the bar on what constitutes a medicine. So in order to bring a drug to the market under their parameters that they created and they instituted, it's easily, well, today it's easily $60 million. In order to get a substance approved as a legitimate medical treatment, 60 million bucks. Naturopaths couldn't compete with that. 
botanical medicine companies couldn't compete with that. The homeopaths couldn't, nobody could compete with that. They did it intentionally in order to just in one stroke, completely obliterate and eliminate all the competition. And they did it. Then it succeeded. Well, and the question is, the question is, has that medicine made us healthier as a population or sicker? That's it. That's this all you to use your logic as a human being to go. Does that actually work? We have well over a hundred years of this dominating medical approach to health, right? And How have we gotten healthier or sicker, sicker as a population? Right, and it's it's creating a nanny state. It's like one. It's like I. What's the number? One out of thirty kids now that's born in the U.S. is autistic or going to become autistic. Alzheimer's is through the roof. It's the creation of a nanny state, right? Because you got to care for the autistic kid his entire life. You don't kick him out of the house when he's 18 anymore. And then you got to care for your parents also. So who's going to be able to afford that? Very few people are going to be able to afford that. So it's going to keep everybody with their nose to the grindstone. They won't be able to look up. They won't be able to have a life because all of their money and all of their time is going to go towards the care of the kid that's got autism or the parent that has Alzheimer's. And that was also done intentionally in, in, in my belief. Um, But it's, again, it's a point well taken that you don't need to be versed in how to read medical research. You don't need a doctoral degree to figure this out. All you have to do is look around and see how many people are sick. How many people are healthy? How many people do you know that have gotten cancer? How many people do you know that have died from cancer? How many people do you know that aren't taking any prescription drugs? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, orange is the new black. Well, whatever, but sickness is the new health. And that's why the title of my first book was Everybody is Sick. And I know why. It's not because of chemtrails, which are a real thing, by the way. It's not because of genetics. It's not because you're getting older, and it's not because of a voodoo curse. It's because your medical doctor is not trained in healthcare. Your medical doctor does not know how to make you healthy. Your medical doctor is trained in disease management. Right. And, you know, it's better than to get disease management than to die from high blood pressure. But it's even better still to try to figure out what caused the high blood pressure and cure it. And this now, is another eye opener for most people, but most people do not understand. Yeah. Look, your medical doctor may be the nicest person that God ever created, but your medical doctor doesn't practice medicine. They practice allopathic medicine and allopathic medicine teaches its practitioners to manage disease. Your medical doctor does not know how to cure disease. They do not cure disease. If they get a cure, it's either by a mistake or it's a, was a bacterial infection that they eliminated temporarily with the use of an antibiotic. But, oh, let's not talk about antibiotic-resistant bacterial infections, which is going to be the next plague. Let's not talk about that. But people need to understand, your medical doctor doesn't practice medicine. They practice allopathic medicine, which is good for trauma care, surgery when it's necessary. Most of the time it's not. And, you know, the complications of childbirth and things like that. But for everything else, the best strategy that people can develop is to fire their medical doctors 
and seek out a different type of medical professional who has been trained in healthcare, in the delivery of healthcare, which, by the way, is science-based and clinically verified. And hopefully this is the silver lining behind all of the COVID crazy misdirection, nonsense, and lies. People are actually starting to wake up to the possibility that their medical doctor might not be you know, the brightest bulb in the bunch. Yeah, with <laughs> with COVID, it was it was and still is such an insane topic because yeah. number one, the thing that I'm um, excited to see is how many people are waking up to what you and I know, what you've known for for decades, what I've learned about over the past two decades, that you know, if you want to take care of your health, if you want to live long, if you want to live with no disease and be healthy and vital then, you know, a natural holistic approach to your diet and lifestyle is your best friend. And if you want to just try to manage, you know, wait till you're 50 or 60, and then you have cancer, you have diabetes, heart disease. Um, and, you know, or we knew with COVID, for example, this was CDC statistics early on, that the highest percentage of people who were dying, hospitalized or dying from COVID had over four comorbidities. I mean, they were already sick from their diet and lifestyle. They already had cancer, heart disease, autoimmune disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, all of these um, metabolic lifestyle-related diseases that are primarily, most of them are primarily preventable. And this is what you know as a naturopathic doctor and this is what you teach your patients. This is what I know as an independent holistic health researcher and a certified holistic cancer coach, that these things are preventable Meaning, imagine if we had a country of people who were actually healthy. I mean, we have one of the unhealthiest countries, populations on the planet, and we spend and the we most pay, on health care. Four times as much for prescription drugs as anybody else does. Yeah, and the, and the drugs are, you know, are they really helping anyone? That's the question. Most people are on, you know, four, five, six, seven prescription medications. You got to put you on another one to combat the side effects of the first one, and then another one for that, and another one for that. And are you actually any healthier? Are you feeling any better? And in fact, the people who I talked to who were on five, even 13 prescription meds at one point and have completely gotten off all their meds and have reclaimed their health, you know, they are, they feel like they got their life back, you know, because they I, did because they did exactly. And it wasn't about. Yeah. It wasn't about a yeah. deficiency of drugs. You didn't. You don't have a deficiency of pharmaceutical drugs in your body and in your life. You know, you have a deficiency of nutrients. You have a deficiency of vitamin D. You have a deficiency of of other vitamins and minerals. You have a deficiency maybe of sleep. You have you know excess of toxins, excess of stress. All these things that are going to inhibit your immune system and damage your body and open up for cancers and other diseases to form in the body. It's not due to a lack or deficiency of prescription drugs. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At HealingLife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with 
these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. And you know, it's again, from the proper perspective, everything makes sense. So maybe this perspective will help people in your listening audience, right? Medical doctors are trained to treat pathology. Naturopathic doctors, chiropractors, acupuncturists, homeopathic doctors, Ayurvedic practitioners, traditional Chinese medical doctors, everybody who practices holistic medicine treats physiology because you cannot have pathology, you know, like an arthritic joint or a tumor somewhere, a cancer tumor. You cannot have a pathology if the physiology is optimal. It's always bad physiology that happens first, which then generates pathology. So, you know, the cancer doctor cuts the tumor out with a scalpel, or they burn it with radiation, or they dissolve it with chemo. It's gone, but then it comes back with a vengeance, and then the person dies from cancer because the tumor is not the disease. It is the result of the disease. The disease process was the bad physiology, which is still present, which the allopathic MD pharmaceutical centrist treatment does not address. And it's not just cancer that they don't address it with, it's with everything. So you don't, so the arthritic knee is treated with anti inflammatories and surgery, which does absolutely nothing to resolve the bad physiology which created the inflammation in the first place. So what happens? Well, your other knee goes. What's good for the orthopedic surgeon, but not so good for you. I mean, I've had patients before they saw me, they had three knee surgeries on the same knee because the treatment that the medical doctors are trained in does not address the cause of the problem. It only addresses the results of the problem. And when you focus exclusively on pathology, the best that you can possibly hope to do is manage the problem. So the patient gets gets a little better, feels a little better, but only while they take the drug. Meanwhile, the drug is whittling away at other things in the body, creating side effects because it's a drug. And the root cause of the original problem is never fixed. So another condition develops, and then another, and then another, and then another. And then the last 10 years of your life, it's a revolving door to the emergency room. And people spend, I think, it's over 80% of health care dollars, with disease management dollars, insurance money, medical money, in their life in the last five years of their life, in this desperate attempt to fix all of this trouble, which was caused by the medical doctors, number one. And number two... Here's something that just blows my mind and because people just haven't thought it through because of the monopoly. 
people over the course of their lifetime spend a small fortune in medical insurance premiums. It's a small fortune. You could buy a couple of extra houses with the money that you spend for medical insurance over the course of your life. You could retire a multimillionaire if you invested that money correctly. But while people are spending a small fortune in medical insurance premiums, which gives them access to one type of medical doctor only, the MD, the allopathic doctor, while they're doing that, they get sick. While they're under the care of the medical doctor, they get sick. And then the medical doctor doesn't have a treatment that can cure it. The medical doctor only has a treatment that can manage it. And this passes for the best medicine that the world has to offer. It's nonsense. People simply haven't thought it through. Or if they have thought it through, they're unaware that people like myself exist. They're, they're not aware of it. They have no idea what a naturopathic doctor is. Let's be honest, Nathan. Most people don't even know how to pronounce naturopathy, let alone know what a naturopathic doctor, what the, what our training is or what we can accomplish clinically. Right. And, you know, there's the whole quack thing that is in the back of people's minds. And honest to God, you go to a hospital, most people, they go to a hospital and they're, you know, in the doctor's office and they're surrounded by all these people who think alike and they've all got white coats on, they've all got stethoscopes around their neck and they're surrounded by millions of dollars of high-tech equipment. The medical doctor could tell that patient to jump off the roof of the hospital to fix their broken leg and most people would do it because it's entirely intimidating. And then, you, you know, they've got a lifetime of socialization to where they've been, you know, they've drunk the Kool-Aid. They don't even know that they've drunk the Kool-Aid. And this is why the medical doctors get away with it. And I've always said this because it's true. And this is based on 35 years now of clinical work. If by some genie in the bottle magic, we woke up tomorrow and there was just as many naturopathic doctors as MDs, insurance paid for it, and universities did 50% of their research on naturopathic therapeutics, 50% of research on pharmaceuticals, and uh, it was, we had access, naturopathic doctors had access to every hospital in the United States. If that were to happen tomorrow, in two years, Medical doctors would be out of a job because in a free medical market, people gravitate towards what works. This is why OG Carroll's clinic in Spokane was successful because it worked. But we don't have a free medical market and it's killing us literally and people need to snap out of it yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember hearing this years ago and I, I haven't deeply looked into it to verify. Maybe you know more about it, but I remember hearing, I don't know if it's current today or kind of an old um, form of, of uh, you know, doctor-patient um, relationship, and I believe it, this comes out of Japan, was if you are healthy, then you pay your doctor. You pay your doctor to keep you healthy, right? Which is yeah. they're helping you. They're providing you herbs and you know, foods and diets and recommendations for lifestyle and things like that. And when you get sick and you see them, you don't pay because their, their job is to keep you healthy, right? Their job is to keep you feeling good. If you get sick, well, you know, they're still going to help you, but then that, then you don't pay them for that because their job is not sick care. It's what a great, what a great medical model. I mean, if that, <laughs> if, if we were to adopt this in this country, then every medical doctor would be bankrupt in six months. 
And, you know, I've thought about this too. It's, I think partly a lot of medical doctors, not only are they conditioned to believe that natural medicine doesn't work because that's what they're told in school. But even when they're confronted with somebody who heals themselves naturally or (laughs) when they're confronted with the science of natural medicine or they're confronted with, you know, certain natural things you could do, you know, this is going to be on YouTube. So I can't say these things. Otherwise they take my, this video down. So I have to skirt around this carefully, but certain natural things you do to boost your immune system to help prevent against that thing. Um, and you show them the science of it, you know, even then it is so hard for a, a general medical doctor to accept these things because it directly attacks their own values and belief system as a doctor. I mean, and, yeah, and they, and they take it personally. Dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. Exactly. And so that's, that's a big problem that we're facing is because you can show them how safe and effective. I, I hate putting those two words together now. It's just like, you know, we've been lied to so much with those two words about the thing recently yeah. um, that we've gone through. But, um, but you can show them that and, and they still have a hard time looking at it or accepting it. Um, and that's a big, that's a big thing we need to, I think we all need to look at within ourselves as well. Uh, well because I think that's I what mean, happened no. with COVID is, is that people had this idea and anything outside of that idea was just not acceptable. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's one of the drivers. It's one of the legs that supports the medical monopoly is cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias. And it's built into the education of the doctor. And it was done that way on purpose. The PhD program, the doctoral degree granting programs were developed in Germany. And the intention of the doctoral degree granting program was not to broaden doctors' minds, um, to have them embrace the scientific method and be objective devotees of science to move humanity forward with new breakthroughs, new scientific discoveries. It wasn't. The intention of the doctoral program was to get everybody who had the degree to think inside of the same box. And if you thought outside of that box, you didn't get your degree or your license was revoked. This was done on purpose. And then... Once medical doctors go through all of the years of medical school, then they have to do residencies and internships, which make them sleep deprived, make them extremely stressed, make them sleep deprived, make them extremely stressed. And that also was done on purpose. I mean, it's the same techniques that the CIA uses to break people who they have to to get them to talk or to, to get them to revoke whatever ideology they had it's a psychological uh process that was done on purpose to the medical doctor so cognitive dissidence is baked into their cake right i mean i can't tell you how many times i've had patients and my colleagues have had patients they've been suffering for years i'll tell you a story real quick Second or third year, I think, after I graduated medical school, I was in a private practice in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. 
and uh, it was a Friday, and the parents brought a nine-year-old girl in to see me. She had reflex sympathetic dystrophy from her waist down, which is a weird neurological condition where if you touched her like on her leg, just gently, it felt to her like you just hit her with a hammer. It was a, a very painful illness. Medical doctors have no idea what causes it, have no idea what to fix it. But nonetheless, she was going to Children's Hospital in Boston for two, three years before she saw me once a month. And it was a teaching hospital. So she saw, um, you know, every time she was there, there were like 10 doctors that were in her room because it was such a rare case, right? And all they had for her was painful physical therapy. That's all they could do. So the parents bring her to see me on a Friday. It's my last patient of the day. I'd had a long week. I said, look, this is a complicated case. I really need to research this. I think I spoke to her for 45 minutes. I said, come back on Monday. Um, We'll talk for another hour. I'll get more of a sense of what's going on and we can start treatment. And the parents said, please, she's really in a lot of pain. Is there nothing you can do over the weekend? And so I had a flash of, intuitional insight where i love it when that happens by the way and i gave her a homeopathic medicine cost ten dollars three doses of the homeopathic medicine i think to be taken every day over the course of the weekend i I come into the office late on monday i don't know why it was late but i was late parents are in the waiting room they got tears in their eyes I, i thought to myself shit i just killed i just killed their girl the girl's dead you know, we'll get my lawyer on the phone. That's what I'm thinking. But it was the opposite. After a couple of doses, the girl was completely cured of the reflex sympathetic tissue. It was completely cured. It was gone. It was like someone flipped a switch and she no, she had it on Friday. She did not have it on Saturday. And it held. Two days later, she was still good. A week later, she was still good. Two weeks later, she was still good. She was cured. So three four weeks later she goes back to children's hospital right sees the same doctors that she's been seeing for years big room filled with doctors they do the physical exam they look at her chart they can't believe it she's cured she had reflex sympathetic dystrophy and she's cured it's not there anymore oh my god this is a medical miracle what did you do the parents said oh we went to a naturopathic doctor and he gave her a homeopathic medicine 12 doctors got up and left the room. Not one of them called my office to ask me how I did it, what I did. Not one of them. And this happens all the time in naturopathic medicine, that we will have patients under the care of medical doctors for years, decades, sometimes. They come to see us a couple of weeks, couple of months, they're cured. They go back to the medical doctor. The medical doctor says, oh my God, what did you do? You know, you're your hearts, you no longer have AFib, right? What did you do? Oh, we saw a naturopathic guy. Oh, 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 I don't know what that is. Just just keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. They don't want to know. Now, if you had devoted yourself to the study of medicine, ostensibly to elevate mankind, to chip away at the rock of human suffering, and you saw a cure like that, would that not therefore compel you to learn more? It would if you're a decent human being. But if you're a cognitive dissident human being, you're not going to. 
because you don't have the intellectual courage to mm. be able to break through that mold. And this is the main reason that conventional medicine, allopathic pharmaceutical centrist medicine continues to chug along. It's because 99% of the doctors who practice it are intellectually incapable of thinking outside the box. I love that intellectual courage. I mean, that's really what it takes to question your own beliefs and everything you've been taught. It does take courage because that's, it's a challenging thing to do to face, but I'll tell you what, all the doctors that I've come to know somewhere between 300 and 400 to this point who started as convention, many of them started as conventional medical doctors and then transitioned to functional medicine, homeopathic medicine, natural medicine over their careers. It's because they had that intellectual courage. That's exactly what it was. They said, look, I'm not actually helping my patients get better. And in fact, they keep coming back every two or three or four years and they're sicker. Um, and I'm tired of just, yeah, the money's great, but I'm tired of actually not helping people. I need to learn what's going on. Often many of them have their own health condition. Dr. Cynthia Lee, medical doctor, dysautonomia, chronic fatigue, complete shutdown of her vital systems, became bedridden, housebound for nearly a decade, autoimmune disease. But she knew there's nothing as a conventional medical doctor I can do for myself. None of these drugs are going to help me, none of these things. And so and she was trying everything, diet and, and, you know, lifestyle changes, but she was getting worse and worse. And she actually found energy medicine. And not mm -hmm. only did it save her life, it brought her back to life. And now she's a big proponent of the ancient uh, teaching of Qigong, of energy medicine. You know, and now we have more and more science validating why energy medicine works. But that goes into, and, and you know, I could share, you know, dozens of, of examples of doctors who either healed themselves or healed others along their path of, of learning about natural medicine. And they, you know, Dr. Thomas Lodi is a great example. Um, you know, he was in my first documentary film about cancer years ago. And one of the things he said was, look, there is a cure for cancer. It's called your immune system. You know, when you have a fully functioning immune system, you don't have to worry about cancer. And we have that capability within us for just about every disease on the planet. But it really comes down to, you know, ourselves, you know, educating ourselves and learning the difference between disease management and disease prevention and disease healing. Conventional medical doctors, as you said, they're not in the business of healing diseases. That's not what they do. And they're, that's just not what they're trained to do versus natural medicine. You're actually training and you're also not, you don't give a supplement to cure a disease. You give a supplement or dietary change or lifestyle changes or energy medicine or whatever so you can activate the body's own innate intelligence, that life force energy, so the body can heal itself. That's the incredible thing that I love about natural medicine. Because in point of fact, there is no such thing as arthritis. There's no such thing as asthma. There's no such thing as Alzheimer's disease. These things do not exist. Here's what I mean by that. And this, again, goes to the socialization and the, the kind of education and medical modeling that we've all been brought up inside of. We've been trained to think that the disease is like a parrot that sits on the shoulder. And it's the medical doctor's job to kill the parrot or develop some therapy that knocks the parrot off the shoulder. But this is absolutely we have 
treatments for arthritis. We have treatments for asthma. We have treatments for cancer. We have treatments for migraine headaches. We have treatments for everything, right? It's disease focused on the pathology, the medicine. And like the fellow said, you can't have a headache without a head. So what I'd like someone to do, please, is bring me 20 kilos of asthma. Could you do that? Can't do it. You could bring me 20 kilos of Granny Smith apples if I asked you to. I love Granny Smith apples. Can you bring me five pounds of uh, migraine headache? Can, can you do that? You can't because these things do not exist independently of the human being. They are names that medical professionals have developed in order to make it easier for them to talk amongst themselves and rally around the pathological treatment flag. So in point of fact, naturopathic doctors don't treat disease. We treat people. And what we attempt to do is optimize the physiology of the human being and stimulate the body's built-in, God-given ability to fix itself. And when we can do that, the pathology disappears because the pathology can only be present if the physiology is funky. So we defunkify the physiology. And there's a lot of ways to do that, right? A lot of ways up that hill, homeopathy, energy medicine, acupuncture, medical nutrition, hydrotherapy. There's a lot of different ways to crack that code, but the goal is always the same to stimulate the body's built in God-given ability to fix itself. And this is the fundamental difference between the holistic approach and the reductionistic approach, which is what MDs are trained in. MDs are trained in a physics, uh, Newtonian physics, which is based on the physics of uh, Sir Isaac Newton, which argues that if it can't be measured, it does not exist. So since nobody's dissected the soul out of the human body, you're seeing it with an MRI or a CT or an ultrasound, it doesn't exist spiritual forces doesn't exist it's a fiction life after death is a fiction consciousness itself is a function of biochemistry and when the body dies it's lights out game over you're dead and gone and it's a black void forever and because consciousness is a function of biochemistry this is what medical doctors believe and it's nuts and because of this belief they have effectively thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And they do not understand the fundamental natural law, which is the human body is inhabited by an intelligent spiritual force, which is running the show. The human body knows how to fix itself. The human body wants to fix itself. The human body is trying all of the time to fix itself. Your body is so smart, it grew itself all by itself from a single cell into you and right now is managing literally millions of biochemical processes all of which are outside of your conscious control how is that possible through the intelligence of something naturopathic doctors call the vital force it is the spiritual intelligence which is inhabiting the body which is running the show and that's what naturopathic doctors take advantage of We develop and deliver therapeutics that support the vital force and that support the body's built-in natural, hence the term naturopathic, 
ability to fix itself. Medical doctors think that human beings are bags of biochemicals waiting to break. <laughs> when something does break, it's not the doctor's job to cure it because a cure isn't possible. Because if a cure was possible, you never would have gotten sick in the first place. So therefore, all you can do is manage it with drugs and surgery and manage and manage and manage until death do us part. And it's an insane ideology. It's a juvenile methodology, which is only effective um, for surgery, which is the epitome of reductionism, right? You've got a bullet in your arm. doesn't get more reductionistic than that. And that's where medical doctors shine. Yeah. That's where get, they're good. You know, I have a major accident, get shot, car wreck, something like that. Definitely go into a surgeon, go into the hospital, you know, your organs shutting down, something like that. It's, you know, and you need something to keep you How, alive. In however, that you're absolutely right. And I couldn't agree. And I have a very good friend of mine is a world famous um, retired orthopedic surgeon. I mean, he was a, a advisor to the Reagan administration. He knew C. Everett Coop. Um, he was responsible for um, changing the helmet technology that to, to, to re dramatically reduce concussions in college and professional athletes, Dave Janda. Um, he's a really good guy. He had really bad arthritis, medical orthopedic surgeon, <laughs> arthritis in his neck, wasn't getting any better. I said, Dave, take your medical nutrition, do this, do that. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your medical, do this, do that. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your medical, do that. Ah, yeah. and he finally did it. And within three weeks, I think, wasn't much longer pain-free arthritis is gone and now he's got more energy and stamina than he did when he was 30 years old and he's in his 60s so you know and he's one of the like the the doctors that you're talking about every once in a while a medical doctor will have a breakthrough and they see the light and they they come over to our side which is an interesting thing to talk about because it never goes the other way you never have a naturopath or a homeopath or an Ayurvedic doctor who gives up right. their profession and becomes a medical doctor. That never happens. I've never met. I've never met one. I don't know. <laughs> but it goes the other way all the time. All the time. All the time. All the time. Uh, hundreds, if not thousands. I mean, I know many of yeah. them who have because there's. It's an awakening. It's an awakening that happens. You you wake up and go, oh, this old way of because doing it's natural law. This is right. the thing. This is not, you know, it's natural law, which is at play here. And once, like the fellow said, you know, once you've experienced the truth, you're in its velvet grasp forever. And gravity exists whether you believe in it or not. Electromagnetic fields exist whether you believe in them or not. And they can be manipulated and measured whether you believe in them or not. It's the same with medicine. Holistic medicine bases itself on natural law, which is inviolable. And when you put your fingers on that pulse, when you understand natural law, the the doors to healing spring wide open. Yeah. And that is why naturopathic doctors succeed, holistic practitioners succeed when everybody else fails. But so we know that holistic medicine, natural medicine, as you alluded to really early on, you know, it it's it's an umbrella. It encompasses many different forms of medicine, like you said, Ayurvedic medicine, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, energy medicine, you know, diet, on and on and on, medical nutrition, etc. One of the forms of medicine that fits under that umbrella that you've talked a little bit about is homeopathic medicine, and oh, there favorite. is still a 
war on homeopathic medicine today in the scientific community. Well, I can go personally and find hundreds of validated studies in the peer-reviewed journals, in PubMed, on the effectiveness of homeopathic medicine for just about every major disease on the planet. Yeah. I can, I, I'm, a, I'm a lay person, independent researcher, not a trained doctor, but you know, pretty much when I was looking into getting a PhD and looked at all the things you know, of a PhD and I was talking to the university, basically I had done the work of like two or three PhDs by that point. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to go do all that work again. I've already spent you know, 15,000 hours over the last 15 plus years. And so I, I do a lot of research independently, but any person can go in and look at the science on homeopathic medicine and find it if they know what they're looking for. Yet today, there are still, there's still this whole community of doctors and scientists that are saying homeopathic medicine doesn't have any science supporting it. Um, it should be banned. It's not effective. There's no scientific evidence. And so, and it doesn't go with the, the current um, model of science that we conduct on and on and on. Basically lies that are being told. But I'd love for you to talk about homeopathic medicine, what it is, why it works, because I think a lot of people don't understand. I used to not understand what it was. I thought it was something com completely different. And, it, and it's mind-blowing when you learn what is homeopathic medicine and why does it work. Um, and then maybe you know, talk about some of the science behind it and your thoughts about homeopathic medicine in general. <clears throat> well, if there was only one medicine that I was allowed to practice, it would be homeopathy. Because homeopath, I've seen more remarkable cures, and either personally or tangentially, because you know my colleagues talk about it at conferences, than with any other system of medicine. And historically, the, the record books of the homeopaths in the 1800s and the early 1900s, it's unbelievable what they were able to accomplish. Um, I have a colleague in Montreal right now. Um, he's he's cured over. 500 cases of multiple sclerosis with homeopathy. I have a colleague in uh, Arkansas, just moved to Arkansas from uh, Hawaii. He's cured over a thousand kids with autism with homeopathy. Really? Homeopathy is extremely effective. And the pharmaceutical industry hates homeopathy because number one, homeopathy is curative. It's curative. Let me say that again. It's curative. And number two, unbelievably inexpensive. Like that girl with reflex sympathetic dystrophy, the medicine was like 10 bucks. And that, that one tube of medicine had, would, would have lasted her like a month, but she only needed three or four doses of it. And this is the, the beauty of homeopathy. So it, number one, it's curative. Number two, it's unbelievably inexpensive. And this is why the pharmaceutical in industry has its propaganda machines rolling heavily against homeopathy and it's been that way for over 100 years now and it's not going to stop so homeopathic medicine there are five laws of homeopathy we're not going to go over all of them <clears throat> the most important are the law of uh, similars and the law of potentization so here's what homeopathy purports that let's say you have a migraine headache 
and your migraine headache feels to you like your head is exploding, like someone's inside your head pumping it full of air and the head is expanding and it's an explosive, expansive pain, which is much worse when you lie down, much better if you stand up, much worse if anything cold touches your head and much better if anything warm touches your head. These are your symptoms, okay? A homeopath would argue that in order to cure that condition, you would need to deliver a medicine to the migraine sufferer, which, when given to a healthy person, would create the same symptoms. An explosive headache, worse when they lie down, better when they sit up, better from heat, worse from cold. And if you were able to discover that medicine and deliver it to the migraine sufferer, by virtue of the law of similars, which is a natural law, the the action of the homeopathic medicine would negate the action of the disease. The disease would be eliminated and eradicated from the body, and the patient would be brought to a state of health. Now, the best way to understand this kind of pragmatically, is to think about noise cancellation technology, right? In high school physics class, um, I'll never forget this because it was a really cool experiment. The teacher had a big plate glass, uh, a rectangle that had edges on it that was maybe four feet, four feet wide on one end, two feet deep, and then four feet on the other end. And it was maybe uh, six inches tall, right? And it was plexiglass. And he had water inside it, half filled with water. And I dropped a rock or a weight, like a fishing weight into one end of the water. And it created ripples in the water. And you could see them. They had an overhead projector and might've put a dye in the water so you could see it better. So you drop the rock and it creates ripples in the water. Isn't that great? And if it was a bigger rock, it would be a bigger wave and different frequencies of waves, right? So he could manipulate all that. But, but here's, then he did this. He took two weights of exactly the same weight and he dropped them at different ends of the water trough. So they created identical waveforms marching towards each other. And when the identical waveforms hit each other, in the middle of the water trough, it was flat calm. It was like calmer than calm. It was completely motionless, the water. But on either side of it, there was all this wave action. But where the waves intersected, it was completely flat. This is a representation pragmatically of the law of similars. The law of similars argues that two similar diseases cannot coexist in the human body at the same time. So the quest of the homeopath is to discover and to deliver a medicine which when given to a healthy person produces the same symptoms that the sick person is suffering from which is interesting and goes to what i was saying before you know we don't treat pathology we treat people we don't treat disease we treat people so i could have identical triplets They've got the same genes, they have the same stress, they eat the same food, they live in the same house. They could all have strep throat, 
they could have given it each to the other. And they would need three different homeopathic medicines to recover because they're three different human beings and they have three different sets of symptoms. One kid's throat pain might have been worse on the left side of the body, fine on the right. The other one might have been worse on the right side of the body, fine on the left. One of them might be both sides. One of them, the throat pain might feel really good from a hot drink. The other one, the throat pain might have felt really bad from a hot drink. One of them might have had a fever. The other one might have had chills and all of these symptoms. The symptom picture that develops in the the patient's body is what the homeopath pays particular attention to. So and it's not you, just you, the name of the condition. It's not just the fact, hey, this is strep throat. It's how no. that manifests in the body through the symptomology. A hundred percent. And you develop or you deliver a medicine that matches the symptomology. You know, it's like trying to break a wine glass with, with, a, with sound. You've got to get it exactly right and the glass shatters through resonant frequency. Well, it's the same with homeopathy. So <clears throat> this is really interesting. And this is something that medical doctors completely overlook. So here's, I've developed a little model to help people understand this. So so bear with me, Nathan, okay? So here's kind of how this all works. Uh, But also I need to preface this with, if you would like to have fun with a medical doctor, like you've headed up to here with the arrogance of the medical doctor and you're finally breaking through and you really want to have fun with them, Next time you're in a medical doctor's office, ask them to define health. Doctor, I'm interested. What's your definition of health? And see what they say. Because they won't be able to give you a definition of health because they're not trained in it. Health is the ability of a living organism to experience negative stress and remain symptom-free in a state of dynamic equilibrium. So here's how that goes. Life is a great big bowl of stress, right? There's germs, bacteria, emotional stress, financial stress, weather, aging, crap in the air, crap in the water, crap in the food, political stress, right? Stress all the time. When stress hits the body, there's only two possible outcomes. The body defends it and the stress bounces off or the body becomes, cannot defend it, the stress impacts the system, destabilizes the system, and the system compensates and generates a symptom. So the weather changes in the autumn, and the stress of the weather change your body can't handle. The body becomes destabilized, and you develop a fever, a sore throat, and a stuffy nose. Okay, the, all the symptoms of a flu, right? Which, by the way, I just want to mention, people think of those symptoms as as a bad thing. But in fact, those are still your body's natural defense mechanisms trying to help you heal. The fever is heating things up to try and destroy the pathogen. The runny nose is trying to get those you know, pathogens out of your sinuses, out of your system. The cold is the cure, exactly. And that's people are like, oh no, stop the fever and stop the runny nose and start and take the drugs to to inhibit these things. Yeah, because they're uncomfortable, but they're actually the thing that's helping your body heal itself at the same time. A hundred percent. And so and and so you're the smartest person in the room. So, So and you're absolutely correct. But this is how it goes. You're stressed by something, 
you become destabilized and you become symptomatic. So, you know, you develop asthmatic breathing, for example. Okay. So you go to a medical doctor and they deliver a drug that suppresses the symptom. Right. So you get an anti-bronchodilator, you get an antibiotic, you get an anti-inflammatory, you get an MAO inhibitor, you get something, the intention of which is to uh, uh, suppress the symptomology. Now, the symptom was there in the first place as a compensation that the wisdom of the body generated. It did this for a reason. So when you suppress the symptom... That's like sneaking up behind somebody who's on crutches and kicking the crutches out from underneath them. When you suppress the symptom long enough, the body must fall further off balance and generate another symptom. And this happens all the time. So you have a a seven-year-old kid who has bad eczema. The medical doctor delivers cortisone cream, cortisone cream, cortisone cream, cortisone cream, cortisone cream, cortisone cream. The eczema clears up. Two months later, the kid develops asthma because the eczema was suppressed. How do we know this? Because when you cure the asthma holistically, the eczema comes back. This is called Herring's Law of Cure. Because nothing was fixed, everything was suppressed, and the body fell to another level of defense and generated another symptom, and fell to another level of defense and generated another symptom. So holistic therapeutics, whatever it is, whether it's naturopathy or homeopathy or Ayurveda, botanical medicine, energy medicine, whatever it is, the intention of the treatment is not to suppress the symptom, but to push the system back into a state of balance. Because what happens when the system recovers its balance? The symptom disappears. Homeostasis. This is called called a cure. Now, homeopathy attempts to do this by leveraging the law of similars. That's how homeopathy pushes the system back into a state of balance. Chiropractic does it a different way. Botanical medicine does it a different way. Hydrotherapy does it a different way. Acupuncture does it a different way. I like the homeopathic way because it's an awesome way, but it is also difficult because people have not been trained to pay attention to their symptoms. And it takes a very talented interviewer, a very talented homeopath, to be able to put the patient at ease enough and extract their symptoms from them in a clear method. It's not easy. And this is why homeopathy is called an art. It's the art of homeopathy. Most of the trouble with homeopathy or the the challenge with homeopathy is not discovering the medicine because we've got computer programs that go through that quickly and it's easy. The trouble is eliciting the symptoms clearly from the patient. Mm. Oh, doc, I've, my head hurts. I got a killer. He- I got a. I got a killer, killer headache. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, what's it feel like? Well, it's pain, doc. It feels like pain. My head hurts. Well, what's it feel like? <laughs> Does it feel <laughs> like your head's being squeezed? Does it feel like your head's expanding? Does it feel like someone's hammering a nail into your head? What side of your head hurts? 
what makes it feel better? What makes it feel worse? When does it happen? What started it? All these things. The homeopath needs to know. The patient is clueless about because of the medical monopoly and the lack of education in this regard. So let me ask you this. So, this is something I'm curious about. Um, I don't think I fully understand how. I understand all the other forms of medicine that I've, I've researched. It's very clear to me how they impact the, the physiology to basically activate the body's own innate healing potential. Now, as you're talking about homeopathy, you're basically, what I don't understand is all of those other forms of medicine, let's say I'm changing my diet, I'm detoxing heavy metals out of my blood that are causing inflammation or in my fat tissues that are causing inflammation in the brain or whatever, or I'm, you know, stop putting the processed foods in that are causing the problems, or I'm getting more sleep so I can actually get into autophagy and clean up, you know, these, these abnormal cells, all these different mechanisms of, of natural health that activate our body's healing potential. All of that makes perfect sense to me. Because it's, it's, it's causative, you're getting to the root cause of the issue. You're clearing out the stuff and stop putting in the fuel that's burning the fire inside of you. And then you're putting in the things or taking the actions that are, you know, allowing your body to clean up what it needs to clean up. Now, with homeopathy, and you're, and you're putting in a very, very tiny, almost non-detectable oh, amount. Number We're one. gonna we'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. But okay, so we'll say that. But you're putting in the thing that it aligns with in terms of right, whatever that like it could be bee venom, for example, for certain things. But how does that let's say it heals, you know, with autism? So you have this doctor, and I'd I'd like to know, I want to research him by the way, who's helped cure a thousand cases of autism, you said. And you're saying homeopathy is curative. How is it curative by putting? Yeah, help me understand that better. Because let's <laughs> say let, let, let's it, say that let, let me give you one example. Twister, let it? me give you one example. Let's say let's say somebody is loaded with aluminum and mercury from dental amalgams and vaccines and whatever, right? And their body's just full of aluminum and mercury, and that is causing whatever the disease is. Okay. I'm not going to say it because it's going to, you know, whatever that disease okay, is. Okay. So let's, let's say they're loaded with aluminum and mercury and their symptoms are really bad arthritic pains throughout the whole body. Okay. Okay. So we give a homeopathic medicine, not based on the fact that they have aluminum or mercury in their body, but we give the homeopathic medicine based on the presentation of their symptomology. Okay, so it's a throbbing pain. It's much the only thing that makes it feel better is if I use the arm. Soon as I stop using it, it really hurts. But I start to use it. It's a little stiff at the beginning, but the more I use it, the better it feels. And then I can overdo it and it'll hurt more. But if I stay in motion, I feel pretty good. But at rest in the middle of the night, if I'm sitting at my desk, it's killing me. It's also feels better from a warm application. And it feels much worse if I get cold. And the pain makes me restless. I can't sit still. I'm in pain. I, I can't sit still. Okay? These are the symptoms that their body is expressing as a function of being destabilized by the toxic action of the mercury and the aluminum. 
Okay. So the presenting stress was the, the exposure to the toxin, which destabilized their body and caused the body to become symptomatic. So a homeopath would deliver a medicine based on the symptoms to attempt to activate the law of similars, which again is a law like a gravity. It exists whether you believe in it or not. And when you do that, the the system recovers its balance and the symptomology goes away. And by the way, the medicine that would do this in this example would be um, a homeopathic preparation of poison ivy. Mm. Interesting. Which is really interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that symptomology well, goes I'm not away. done yet. I'm not okay. done. I'm yeah, not yeah. done. Let me finish. Okay. Yeah. Because it was an excellent question. All right. So, however, now the system's restabilized. <clears throat> Unless and until you move the toxic metals out of the body, the system will become destabilized again and become symptomatic again. Gotcha. Okay. And so you'll need to deliver the homeopathic medicine over and over and over and over because it goes like this and then it goes like this. And because you haven't removed the root cause of the problem. Gotcha. Now, now, sometimes when you deliver the homeopathic medicine, if the body is neutrified enough and has enough vital energy, when the body recovers its balance, the detoxification mechanisms can kick into gear because now the body has extra energy to do that. Whereas before the body's energy was, was focused on generating these symptoms. There's only so much energy in the human body at any moment in time. So when the body is expressing symptoms, it can't fix itself. It can't clean itself out. It's expressing the symptom. It's expressing the symptom. When the body's in a state of balance, it can clean itself out, but it needs nutrients to do that. So, Homeopathic medicine always said there are two things that you need to do to help the person recover their health. Number one, you have to deliver the bullseye homeopathic medicine, which in homeopathic parlance, by the way, is referred to as the similimum. The similimum is the bullseye remedy that every homeopath in the world quests for. Number one. Number two, you have to clean up the person's diet you have to make sure that their body is neutrified you have to make sure that they're drinking enough water you have to make sure that they're involved in a healthy lifestyle and when you do those two things the action of the homeopathic medicine will hold and the patient moves forward into a state of health okay so it makes it now, makes much more it's, sense it's, to me now um especially yeah. because i understand um, both the art and the science of how energy medicine works, right? Which right. is which is very similar, where we are literally activating the the energies within us and around us to awaken our own innate healing potential. You're basically resonating the cells, the vibration, the resonance of the cells to say, "Hey, here's an. It's time to be a healthy cell." This is why sound healing works. This is why certain right mantras work this is why chanting works because that right. resonance frequency is telling the cell you might have an unhealthy cell you might have an inflamed cell you might have a, a cell that's broken down that's not doing a very well job which we know cancer cells are basically 
you know, according to, to the research done by Otto Warburg and many others who've come after him, it's basically a fermenting cell that switches most of its energy supply to, to um, glucose. You know, it's, it, it is very inefficient at producing ATP. And so it's, it's a cell that's dysfunctional, yet it's also something that I believe is trying to keep you alive. The cell is just trying to stay alive. But you can actually send these resonant frequencies through energy to the cells to say, hey, it's time to be healthy again, you know, and, and they can receive that vibration and actually improve their own health and vitality as a cell. And so I kind of see this and correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of see this as well. It's like you're putting in this this um, similar uh, mechanism that's telling the body that's like, hey, it's like a signal to the body like, okay, we can't have two of these things going on at the same time. So we got to do something about it and create that calm water in between. And which is a perfect segue. Thank you very much, by the way, into the second thing about homeopathy that I want to talk about, which is called the law of, of potentization. So the most important law of homeopathy is the law of similars that you need to, you need to create the flat, calm space in the water by delivering exactly the right medicine. And that's challenging because you have to elicit the correct symptoms from the patient, most of which people are just completely clueless about. So that's number one, the law of similars. Number two is the law of potentization. So in the early days of homeopathy, they would the medicines which were delivered were botanical medicines, snake poisons, uh, bee venom. Things which in their material dose, if you gave too much of, you could hurt the patient because it was a toxic substance. And, you know, you'd go right up to the edge with the treatment to try to elicit the law of similars, and then you'd back off. Then the founder of homeopathy, Hahnemann, Samuel Hahnemann, um, through for reasons which are not really... Um, you know, we don't really need to dwell on here, but he he used, he started serially diluting the medicines. So he would take one, so for instance, he would get a belladonna plant, which if you did an alcohol extract of belladonna and you drank four ounces of it, your heart would stop and you would die, okay? So he would get an alcohol extract of belladonna and he would take one drop from it and dilute it with 99 drops of alcohol or water. Then he'd take one drop of that and dilute it with 99 drops of alcohol or water. And then one drop of that. And, and he kept doing this. Now, when you do this 12 times or 13 times, you have gone beyond what's called Avogadro's number. So the possibility, the medicine is so dilute that the possibility of one molecule of the original substance existing in the medicine is infinite, which means there's, there's no there there. There's nothing material left in the medicine. Right. When they, measure, when they actually measure for that molecule, you can't find it. It's because it's been serially diluted too much. Now, that's when you go past 13. Most homeopathic medicines that are delivered are done 200 times or 1,000 times or 10,000 times 
or a hundred thousand times or a million times. Why, why so many times if you only have to go past 13? You don't have to because the, the idea here, and this is where, this is why the detractors of homeopathy detract from it. Because they say homeopathic medicine defies the law of physics. There's nothing left in the medicine that you're giving. It's just placebo. There's nothing there. There's no there there. It's gone. It's diluted too much. But the experience of the homeopath is as you serially dilute the medicine. Oh, and part of the preparation of the, of the medicine is that after you dilute it, you pound it five or 10 times to set up a shock wave in the liquid, which ostensibly theoretically transfers the energy of the medicine into the water molecule. And then you do that again, and it's a little bit of a higher frequency. And then you do it again, and it's a little bit of a higher frequency. Then you do it again, and it's a little bit of a higher frequency. And our experience is that the more dilute the medicine is, the more effective and rapid is its response time. Hmm. Now, if have they measured it, the frequencies? Is no, there any, you can't because there, there's that... no equipment. There is no equipment that has been developed yet. Maybe Tesla had it. There's no equipment that is available to measure the different frequencies of the different potentized medicines. But our clinical experience is such that when... So if I had... <clears throat> If I had somebody, you know, suffering with a migraine headache and I absolutely positively knew it was a 100% match with this particular medicine, I would give it in the highest potency that I had because it would effect a stronger, more rapid, more permanent cure. But if I don't know, geez, maybe, maybe it's this, maybe it's this one. I don't know. Maybe I would give it a lower potency. Because that's just the training and that's our clinical experience. And sometimes if you if you almost get it right, you know, the system's destabilized, it comes back a little bit, but then it goes right back to where it was before. Now, so, how do you know it's, you know, placebos are very effective. I mean, our belief system can activate incredible healing in the body. We know that. I mean, there are there are animals. Yeah, there are, there are um, animals. We've given homeopathic medicines to animals and they recover. Mm, that's how you know it's not just placebo. 100%. And, you know, frequently, I, I mean, that the, uh, I'll tell you my own personal story. I became a naturopathic doctor because I was in pre-med, was ready to go to osteopathic medical school in Maine. And I got super sick um, with three months set to go before graduation. And I was in Western Massachusetts. I mean, if you hit a nine iron in any direction, you're going to hit a medical doctor's office because it was medical central. I went to a bunch of people. They didn't know what was going on with me. They couldn't help me. All they could throw, take this antibiotic, whatever. The antibiotic made me sicker. Take this, whatever. And the anti-inflammatory made me sicker. I was sick for two, three weeks and getting worse. Fever, chills gut aches, couldn't keep anything down. And it was bad. And in that day, and in that time, this was 1987, there were two naturopathic doctors in the state of Massachusetts. One was in Boston and one lived in the same town that I lived in. 
But I was a pre-med student. And I wasn't just a pre-med student. I was an arrogant pre-med student. So I didn't know what the hell a naturopath was, but he's, I'm pretty sure he's a quack. But what do I got to lose? So I went to see him. And he did a physical exam. He drew some blood. He poked around. He asked me a bunch of questions. Gave me a homeopathic medicine. Nothing happened. I didn't know what homeopathy was. Had no idea. Rubbed his chin, got a big dusty book off the shelf, paged through it, asked me a bunch of more questions, gave me a different homeopathic medicine. As soon as medicine number two hit my tongue, an electrical thrill went through my body. And I threw up like three ounces of disgusting bilious sludge. It just came out of my body automatically. Wow. I was carried into the guy's office, by the way. That's how sick I was. I walked out of it. I was cured. And it took like three minutes for that medicine to complete its action. I went home. I slept for like 20 hours, I think. And I woke up the next day. I was born again. Into, and then six months later, I was a freshman at naturopathic medical school. Right? Because it completely <laughs> what did he, what did he tell you? That, so, so, that, so he found the right homeopath. On, number, on, the, on the second dose. So if it was placebo, yeah, would have worked the first dose. Yeah. Right? Well, and the fact that you, I mean, the fact that you felt it go through your body and then you threw up and then you went home and slept and then you were better. It's like, that's pretty hard to do with a placebo, I would imagine, to have that, you know, kind of instantaneous experience. But... Yeah, um, there have been lots of studies that have been done with homeopathic medicine historically. Just a few years ago, there was a guy from Australia. His name is Isaac Golden. Um, he worked with the government of Cuba, of all places. And the government of Cuba funded a homeopathic prophylaxis program against, I think it was influenza. It was either influenza or chicken chickengunya or Gaia or it was some tropical disease, but I think it was influenza. Ninety percent of the population got the homeopathic medicine as a preventive for this disease. Ninety percent of the population, medical doctors, nurses, the government made it. They disseminated to everybody. Ninety percent of the Cuban population got it, and there was a seventy-five percent reduction in that illness in that in that year. 75% as opposed to like 17% if you, if you vaccinate, it mm. was remarkable. And you know that the statistics about that being a placebo are ridiculous. It's, but I will tell you this, <clears throat> whoever is able to develop the technology that's able to measure the serial dilutions of a homeopathic medicine and prove that there's something there, they're going to win the Nobel Prize. Because homeopathic medicines are real. They're not placebo. They work by virtue of the law of similars. But the potentization, the serial dilution, the mechanism through which that maintains its integrity in such a dilute is unknown. Don't know how that, don't know how that happens. Whoever figures that out is going to, get the Nobel Prize. They're doing some really interesting research at that at a research organization in Massachusetts, by the way. Um, they've done some remarkable stuff with water 
and water memory and all kinds of things mm. which are really outside of the box. Yeah. Well, and I just found no I just found in PubMed there was a review randomized a review of randomized controlled trials of homeopathy. Um and right here they're talking about they were looking at 32 basically 20, 32 controlled trials, 28 placebo controlled trials comparing homeopathy to other treatments. And um, they found that uh, homeopathy has an effect over placebo. So even when they look at controlled trials against a placebo, it's better than the placebo. Um, they go on to say, the evidence, however, is not convincing because of methodological shortcomings and inconsistencies. Future research should focus on replication of existing promising studies. That's the problem with, as you said, the scientific model today, you need tens of millions of dollars to do an RCT. And well, also there's you do it for something distance. that costs $10 for the patient. It's not profitable. So it's yeah. very, very hard to get these studies done. And Sherry Tenpenny talks about an interesting thing that was done. Um, I always um, meant to get the reference for this, but, uh, but I don't, but here's what's happened years ago in order to, to prove the bias that's inherent in the medical publishing research world, right? A group of people um, fabricated a study with a drug. And, you know, it was, the paper was great. Lots of statistics and a lot of analysis. And, oh, my God. It showed like a 75% success rate of against some disease. It was remarkable. And they, they, they gave it to the journal and the peer reviewer says, this is remarkable. It gets 10 thumbs up. Let's publish it. Then a couple of months later, they submitted exactly the same research, but instead of a drug, it was a botanical medicine. Mm. And it was 10 thumbs down. This is hokum. This is bad medicine. This is bad research. There's no way this should be published. And the only thing that was different was in the first one that was given a thumbs up, it was a pharmaceutical. And in the second one, it was a botanical. I believe it. And there's a woman named Maria Angel. I think that's how you pronounce her last name or Angel. I think she was Hispanic, but I don't know. She was the editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, I think, either that or the Journal of the American Medical Association for years. And when she retired, she wrote a New York Times bestseller about this. When she retired, she basically said that Medical journals have become information laundering mechanisms for the pharmaceutical company. So, for instance, a pharmaceutical company will be rolling out a new drug. They'll do 100 studies, 98 of which show a negative result, two of which show a positive result. It's the two that showed a positive result that get published. Right. And she was the editor-in-chief. So, again, we, we go back right where we started. The monopoly is the problem. Because stuff like this can only exist inside of a self-policing, self-regulating medical monopoly. That is the problem. Well, look we at what happened with need... look at what happened with COVID. I mean, I think it was uh, the Pfizer trial early on, where you know, basically, when everyone was saying, "Hey, the shot is a hundred percent effective." Mainstream media were saying it, uh, doctors were saying it, scientists were saying it. That's what everybody heard early on. 
get the shot. It's 100% effective, 100% effective, 100% effective. Nobody really knew what that meant. And basically, except everyone thought it meant, oh, 100% effective. It's not, I'm not going to get the virus. I'm not going to die from it. Effective means protective, but it didn't. Protective, that's not what it meant. And in fact, when you look at the study, if you actually review it, what, what it actually meant was for every one person to save you had to give 22,000 shots, okay, number one. And then number two, when you looked at the, the group of people who actually got the shots, how many of them died from other issues, myocarditis, heart issues, strokes, things like that. And I believe the number was four or five. So it actually, you saved one person from the virus, and you killed four or five other people from other issues. That's basically what the science said if you interpret it directly as the science came. But that's not what we were told, and that's not what was purported to the, to, to the public. It's good to be the king. I have, a, <laughs> I, have a colleague, I have a colleague in Hawaii during COVID. I forget how many hundreds of people that she saw. Um, she had 100% success rate. And she didn't use ivermectin. She didn't use the the jab. She used naturopathic therapeutics. 100% effective. You know, I've talked to other of my colleagues. I think our track record with COVID patients was upwards of 98% 98 success rate. Yep. 98%. And the people that did die were people with with elderly with comorbidities. Yep. They were going to die anyway. So it's not really a good metric, but this was extremely effective. Now, if we had had a free medical market with numbers like this, the nature paths would be the first people that were invited to the public table because our therapeutics were extremely effective at keeping people from dying, extremely effective, extremely affordable. But we weren't even considered in the conversation because we're quacks. And this is the thing, Nathan, you know, and I submitted a proposal to the Trump administration in, in the last year of their, their existence. And I know that people in their organization looked at it because I can tell if someone reads it or not. And it was basically a plea for somebody to create a federal department of holistic medicine. Now that would be, that would be amazing. Yeah. That's what we need to level the playing field but that's not ever going to happen hey it will if we get rfk if we get rfk in there so you know i'm praying for praying for he's the first guy i've seen in my whole life i'm not very old you know i'm only 65 by the way so you know he's the first guy in my (laughs) natural medicine works that's why you know no but i'm i'm uh not that old but rfk is the first guy i've seen in my life that i actually would love to see who I think could do real positive change in our government. Now the whole system's corrupt, but he knows the system and how corrupt it is and where the corrupt people are and how to change it. Cause he's been dealing with that as a lawyer his whole life. So if we get him in there and you send that proposal to his staff, I'm sure they'll take a serious look at it. I, I wish he would see me as a patient because I think his, his speech impediment is yeah. caused by osteoporosis of the skull. Really? Yeah. If anybody so knows, R- if anybody knows RFK, send this clip to him and let him know. Talk to Dr. Peter Glidden, please. Here's how that works, right? So 
most of the nerves that exit the spine. So you've got the brain and in the back of the brain, it coalesces into the spinal cord and it goes all the way down your back into your tailbone. And that's where the nerves exit that go to the body to make the body do everything. Like 99% of the nerves come off of the spinal cord. The spinal cord is protected by the vertebrae and the discs, the intervertebral discs. And that's the stuff that the chiropractor manipulates. There's a bunch of nerves in the brain called the cranial nerves that come directly off of the brain, not off of the spinal cord. And the cranial nerves feed the eyes, ears, nose, mouth, and throat. But to get to the eyes, ears, nose, mouth, and throat, they have to go through tunnels in the skull. So you've got holes in your head, Nathan. Everybody does. It's for the cranial nerves to get through the skull bone and go to the eyes, ears, nose, mouth, and throat. Now, <clears throat> a tunnel in the skull is like a tunnel anywhere. You know, like when you're digging the tunnel in World War II to get out of the concentration camp, you got to support the tunnel with wood, other it's, otherwise it's going to collapse. So the tunnel in the skull is the same. So if the skull is mineralized the way that nature and God intended it to, then the walls of the skull have structural integrity. But if your body is minerally deficient, and everybody's body is minerally deficient, by the way, because there are 60 essential minerals that the human body needs in order to function optimally, 60 calcium, sulfur, zinc, and selenium, and a whole bunch other that people have never even heard of. Body can't make a mineral. Animal can't make a mineral. Plants can't make minerals. The only way that minerals get into the body is if they're in the soil that the food's growing in. They're not in the soil that the food's growing in. And that was reported to Congress in the 1930s, by the way. And as the mineral concentration in the soil has gone down, chronic disease has gone up. Well, and, and just to one... clarify for people who don't know, the reason those minerals are lacking in our soil is because of conventional big ag farming that's not using organic and regenerative agriculture practices. It's destroying the mineral health of the soil. And, and also, you know, it's the plants that absorb those minerals and convert them into bioavailable minerals for our body. Right. So if the, pl if the, correct. the plants aren't getting enough minerals, then they're not providing enough nutrition for our for our own bodies. So everybody is minerally deficient. And by everybody, I mean everybody. And this is a big deal. So if the skull is minerally deficient enough, the walls of the tunnel start to collapse. But remember, the body has wisdom. And the body knows that that's no bueno. If that continues, you're going to go deaf, dumb, or blind. And that's not good. So in its wisdom, in the absence of minerals, the body will put connective tissue inside the tunnel to shore, shore it up, to, to keep it from collapsing. But there shouldn't be connective tunnel, connective tissue there. It should just be an open tunnel. So there's connective tissue there now, but there's also the nerve. So if the connective tissue rubs up against the nerve, and it's the nerve that goes to your inner ear, you get vertigo. If it's the nerve that goes to your eardrum, you get ringing in the ears. If it's the nerve that goes to your eye muscle, you get a lazy eye. If it's the nerve that goes to your nose, you get no smell or a funky smell. If it's the nerve that goes to your tongue, your taste buds in your tongue, you get no taste or weird taste. If it's the nerve that goes to the 
muscles in your face, you get Bell's palsy or tic de la rue if it's the sensory nerves, extreme pain in the facial nerves. And if it's the nerve that goes to your vocal cords, you get all kinds of speech impediments. And it's not genetic. It's not aging. It's osteoporosis of the skull. Interesting. And by the way, by the way, just to wrap this up and put a little bow on it, <clears throat> if your body is so deficient, and, and calcium is a main player here because it's a bone, right? Calcium is a, a big part of your bone health. If your body is so deficient in minerals that you have developed any of these symptoms because of osteoporosis of the skull, guaranteed, as a matter of fact, it's mandatory, unescapable, that you will have other symptoms in your body which are reflections of deficiencies in calcium. And four of the, the, the biggest calcium deficiency symptoms are heartburn, restless legs at night in bed, muscle ticks or twitches anywhere in the body, or high blood pressure, <clears throat> or chronic low back pain also. So, Mr. Kennedy, if you've got any of those symptoms and you've got this, I don't care what your medical doctors have told you, you have osteoporosis of the skull, and it's, it's tragic because it's one of the easiest things in the world to fix. Well, and people right now tuning in who, who drink a lot of milk or drink milk on a regular basis who've been basically lied to saying, hey, milk is a great source of calcium, and if you drink milk, you have strong bones. It's absolutely not. It's been a lie. The, the dairy industry has been telling for a long time. And, in fact, milk has been shown so many times actually have more potential harm than benefit. And bones don't only need calcium. As you said, bones actually need tons of different minerals need magnesium these protein bones need i think phosphorus all kinds of things to have strong bones um which you don't get from from milk by the way um and that and that opens up a whole nother door of really interesting inquiry because you're 100 percent correct but let's think this through right so i've i and my colleagues have identified 12 foods that people shouldn't look at, let alone eat. And as it turns out, these 12 foods are what people eat all the time. People drink milk all the time. It's a really bad food for the human body, but they, they drink it all the time. People eat the 12 bad foods all the time. Why do they do this? Because we were socialized to do it. Well, why were we told to eat these foods and not these foods? Because these foods whittle away at our health and make us sick so that we need to go to the doctor. But the only doctor that we have access to is the medical doctor who prescribes drugs. So we have been on purpose socialized to eat all the wrong food all the time. And when we do that, unwittingly, we get sick. And it accelerates the disease process. And I am here to tell you that, in my opinion, it was all done on purpose mm. in order to make the population sick. And then to only give them access to pharmaceutical centers, disease management medicine. And it breaks my heart.
Well, I know we're we're out of time now. Um, love to have you come back on. Maybe we can talk about those twelve foods. Um, yeah. I agree. I That's think easy. there's there's a lot of incentive for the so-called health industry, which we could really just call it the disease industry, <laughs> um, the medical monopolies, yeah. the pharmaceutical, you know, giants to keep people sick because sickness is big, big money. And it's, it's really unfortunate, but the good news is, you know, we have the ability to take our health into our control and it's through education. It's through taking action. It's through getting off the processed food and the junk foods. It's through taking care, you know, of our, of our emotions and our mind, learning more about natural approaches for health. I mean, I'm healthier now than I was when I was 18. I was almost dead at 18, you know, and I was on the standard American diet and on prescription drugs and drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes and, and the standard life that was on path towards, you know, cancer and heart disease, uh, an unhealthy life and, and an early death. And, you know, I came back from that and now have more energy and vitality and healthier as a father of two, you know, coming close to, to 40 years old and, and more vital and strong and healthy than I've ever been. So I know it's possible. And I work with cancer patients all the time as a, as their coach and see, I mean, I just had a woman email me the other day. She's been following my program for the past year. And she just sent me an email that says her cancer is no longer detectable. How? We got the toxins out of her lifestyle, put her on an organic whole food diet. We, you know, she cleaned up a lot of the things in her life, reduced the stress, detoxified. You know, these things are totally possible. We can reclaim our health and we can prevent these diseases in the first place. So we know it's possible, but we've got to overcome that indoctrination of true misinformation, which is, you know, unfortunately, the medical monopoly doesn't really care about our health, what they, you know, and they, they well, don't, patient, even if they don't care, they don't know how loss. to take care of your health. That's what I should say. <laughs> what was that? Patient cured is a customer loss. Uh, that's just economics. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, good for you. I mean, you're the proof of the pudding is in the eating, right? I mean, I'm 64. My blood works perfect. I don't have any disease. I'm not on any prescription meds. And it's not because of genetics. You should you should take take a look at one of my brothers. It it's not genetic. Um, there's stuff that people can do from the comfort of their own home in order to get themselves, arguably for the first time in their life, into the game of healing. And people need to educate themselves about how to do that. And uh, I provide a lot of that information uh, at drglidden.com. So check it out. Um, I'm happy awesome. to help move this baby forward because, you know, my people yeah. are destroyed by lack of knowledge. Yep. And there's just, I think the silver lining of the whole COVID thing is that finally people are starting to question conventional medicine. I mean, you know, I, I also developed, uh, it's on the website, 12 questions. Every cancer patient should ask their oncologist. Right, and we you we talked about this at length in your documentary. People ask more questions about the car that they're going to buy, <laughs> that right. the cancer treatment that they're about to spend, you know, three hundred thousand dollars on. It's insane, and potentially and again, destroy it goes their, their life. Yep. So you and I, 
and all of our friends are the red pill. So snap out of it, everybody. There is a wonderful world of science-based, clinically verified, holistic medicine that's available to you. You just have to reach out and grab it and let us help you as much as we can. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate you more. God willing, the creek that rise, I'll see you in the future. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And, you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort. It cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.